0: hello everyone and welcome to the best damn camp a riordan verse read-along podcast that sits out to read all the books by Rick riordan in timeline order i'm your host fran and welcome to the show today we continue our timeline journey with the next two chapters of percy jackson and the lightning thief chapter seven my dinner goes up in smoke and chapter eight We capture a flag. Now, as always, I have my points to focus on. So today, we've got a study of parentage, everyone's favourite subject, and the writing style of these chapters, and just generally what I've thought of it. But, to begin, as always, here's the synopsis. Gods in need of paying their child support... Everyone is bitter and angry. The camp is going well until Percy is nearly kebabbed and eaten by a big old papa. But don't worry, Daddy is coming to the rescue by ruining Percy's life even more. And yeah, that's pretty much the summary of chapter 7 and chapter 8. And it's not really much else to say, that's pretty much... These two chapters, it's all about parentage, everyone being unhappy, and kind of just basically being a millennial and Gen Z at this current point in time. Wow, considering these books were written, I don't actually remember when they were written, like mid-2000s, 2006 or something like that. Still pretty relevant to this uh, current day and age for for the youths. The youths. I don't, do I count as, no I'm not a youth, I consider anyone under the age of 20 a youth. I don't know why I'm talking about this. Let's move on because um, chapter 7, my dinner goes up in smoke. Well there is a lot to say, especially about the parentage side of stuff. And as you guys know I like to go in deep into these sort of, analyses and conversations about certain parts and I know I really haven't kind of been talking about the chapters as a whole in general which considering this is a really long podcast you probably would think I would do that but um I've kind of gone more into the analytical side of things which um is more fun for me I don't know if you guys are enjoying it I I hope you are uh if you do want me to change up my style I could probably do but like email me or just let me know if you are enjoying what I'm doing by doing like these deep dive analyses of of the chapters um but <laughs> yeah I'm just going to carry on with it until someone tells me to stop because it's stupid and annoying and we don't want this just tell us what the chapter's about and what you think of it and then move on and speaking of moving on let's go down to the overview of chapter seven my dinner goes up in smoke so, no one will give Percy answers. God dang it. The official demigod reveal begins, and Percy is every kid who's ever been to summer camp. He just wants to go home. I can't, um, you know, atone to that, because we don't have that here. Well, maybe we do, and I just never went to one. But I'm pretty sure we don't have summer camp things here in the UK, at least regular people don't have summer camp stuff i don't know let's move on we get a mini annabeth backstory and of course when we read the diary of luke castellan we get a little bit of of her story there and we also get introduction of some feminism with a bit of athena as well when we learn that her mother is the goddess athena of goddess of wisdom and battle uh, Percy, spit in truth. Pay your child support, gods. God damn it. <laughs> also, foreshadowing. Field trips to Olympus. Casual. Annabeth's determined nature is a force to be reckoned with, and Percy knows it. Luke reiterates bitterness again about the gods, and he has a personal tale he won't tell. A bit of a prophecy mentioning and a hint at how Luke got his scar. The dinner commences and my heart hurts for Sally. Because Percy drinks to her and misses her and I miss her. Burnt offerings to the gods. Praying for Father Man to show the receipts and show up, basically. He finally feels... He, being Percy of course finally feels at peace and now has happy memories of his mum and relishes in those happy memories. But dang, a bit of a bitter note for that last line of this chapter, which is, I wish I'd known how briefly I would get to enjoy my new home. Percy! We were having such a good time! Why do you do this? Why do you make me think... Something bad has come... I know, obviously, that will be, like, only 100 pages in and I'm already like, oh, my God, on edge all the time. But ending on that, seriously, Percy, my man, uh, l- 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 give us some happiness. I know you aren't going to get much of it, but, like, give us the readers some happiness. I like, like how I'm talking as if Percy wrote... Well, I guess, technically, Percy did write this because he does start it as if, like, he is telling his stories and in the Greek gods and Greek heroes books he talks about how he's written before is per- Percy's an author. Hmm, interesting. Okay, sorry, that was completely off topic, but it kind of just came to me that technically Percy is writing these books, so the foreboding is his foreknowledge of what does actually happen, which is pretty interesting. Percy is a good writer. He knows how to kind of get people intrigued. You know Percy Jackson, top-notch author. Um <laughs> I don't know where that was going I I don't care it was entertaining for me to go through that. Now of course as I mentioned the parentage aspect was really quite in both of these chapters really the talk of the gods and even mortal parents is and just parentage as a theme is really kind of prevalent in these two chapters. There's a lot of discussions that come up about basically the gods sucking and it's unsurprising they they talk about how throughout the eons of course they're going to continue to like fall in love and chase after mortals because that's what they did back in the day and they still do that and same as they did back then they'll have kids with them and then be like you know bye I'm a god you deal with this mess I'm gonna go because I don't have to stay because I'm a god um and it's just continued and I think what's really interesting, especially in this, in chapter seven, is that we be- both get, like, a resentment of the god side of parentage, but also a little bit of the mortal side, in, in some regards, at least. Now, with the gods, it, this chapter is basically all about the gods and how their kids feel about them. Now, there's a moment when... um Percy's basically describing what most of the people in cabin 11 the Hermes cabin look like because obviously Hermes cabin is all Hermes kids but also all the ones that are undetermined whose godly parents haven't bothered to claim them so that they can be put into a cabin um and he talks about how that he he sees that they look depressed they looked Like they've lost hope and they just just want a sign to know who they are. And you can just see it on their faces. And you start to get this feeling that Percy is beginning to feel like that. Even though he's only been there for a few days, he's already slowly starting to give up hope that he'll be claimed. Because every night that he puts some of his dinner into the fire and prays to find who his father is, nothing happens. And he begins to feel bitter and angry and frustrated and considering that these kids have been here so much longer and he's only feeling this after a few days you can just imagine how they must be feeling for being there maybe years and never knowing who their parent is because as Annabeth says they have a lot to do and they all have lots of kids they they can't do everything and Percy's thoughts I can't can't remember the exact wording because i don't think to write it down but it's something like but they're gods they should have the time like that's their responsibility and he makes a few comments like this in both of these chapters in both chapter 7 and chapter 8 i think it's really interesting that straight away considering he's only just learning about the gods he's only just experiencing what the gods are like and what the gods do he's already feeling this frustration and anger towards them and i think i just think it's really just kind of interesting we get we're just getting this sense of bitterness from these children um you're seeing the vacant eyes of others Annabelle's snark about the gods luke's own frustrations and the story of a quest that he went on and the fact that he met his father once and then he doesn't say anything else because clearly it's like a sore subject for him um And even if they mentioned that they obviously they they went on this field trip to olympus but from the sounds of it no one saw their parents so they were there but they they didn't see their parents even though they were on olympus so even being in the home of the gods and really it's not explained so maybe they do see their parents but from the sounds of it like i don't think annabeth has ever met her mother and if she was on olympus athena would have been on olympus but being on Olympus, they had no connection with their family. They were just there kind of like as visitors, not as not as family. So it's no wonder they are bitter and angry towards the gods because they're getting this feel of the gods not caring or giving a, a damn about them. And it's kind of true from the fact that they are basically being abandoned by one of their parents and in some cases both of their parents and this is where the, the parentage theme moves on to the mortal parent side now currently we've we've only seen the mortal parentage of, of Percy and seen like obviously Queen Sally adore her, yes she's a little bit you know, lets him get away with stuff when she probably shouldn't and has her moments of being the best in terms of like motherly sort of duties but as a whole she's never resented him she's she's never been unkind to him, never given him a reason to want to run away, even with the fact that she married a horrible person he's never felt angry towards her. but then we get this sense of abandonment of mortal parents also in this chapter, like Annabeth being antsy and angry when her father is mentioned like she clenches her fist and she's really tight what's the word tight-lipped about it the fact that uh, talking about the fact that she left very young and she arrived at camp at age seven you and obviously we get this idea of all that sort of stuff in the diary of luke castellan but percy's just learning this here and he's seeing like gosh this young this this girl had nowhere to go except for this camp from a young age and we're experiencing that at the same time like a seven-year-old girl leaving home to come to this camp because it was the only place that was safe for her and it makes us wonder was it just the monster side that was her safety because again she's a child surely her parent would protect her and then we also just get the mention of the all year rounders and they usually want to uh, it's mentioned that it's usually because their godly parent are, are kind of a little stronger like higher up the food chain sort of thing but it then makes you wonder like what what happens with their mortal parents like do, do they see their mortal parents at any point are they able to visit like it says that mortals aren't allowed into the camp unless invited and stuff like that but it sounds like no one really sees their mortal parent no the year rounders are just their year round they don't have any other family other than those at the camp like do do their mortal parents not care do uh, do they consider them to be a burden because of the monster side the godly side like it's kind of sad to think that in in certain cases depending on who you were born to how much more of a burden you were on that on your parent And obviously, a child isn't meant to be a burden, but that's something that a parent could possibly consider if it's causing them, you know, strife and problems. Like in the case of Percy, it was like him, you know, being kicked out of school and blowing up a bus at one point, kind of stuff like that. But his mother is obviously an angel and kind of, does, yeah, lets him off, but also doesn't give up on him. Did these kids' parents give up on them? And it's just something that just has always had me wondering about the ones who are year-rounders. Like, what do their mortal parents do? What do their mortal parents think is happening? Do they know? Do they write to them? Do they they care? And I think that's just what we get from this chapter and from chapter 8 as well, both for godly and mortal parents. And then, of course, we just get the general reference of percy missing home and this is just i just want to do a small little shouty outy thing shouty outy that's a new word apparently when he talks about wanting to go home and kind of feeling a bit homesick a little bit up until kind of the end of this chapter i had the song i i i listen to music when i'm reading even when i'm like making notes and stuff and yes i do make notes in my books i bought a completely new <laughs> set of percy jackson and the olympians specifically so i could make notes on the chapters but when i was listening to this part where he talks about like kind of when he's getting overwhelmed and there's the conversations of like of parents and home and stuff like that i had the song homesick by by will J playing at that point and it fit so well kind of for both of these chapters really um, so I highly recommend checking out uh, Will Jay's music and the song Homesick. Um, that's just a total side note, but I, I, I felt like it really kind of fit the tone of this moment of parentage in these chapters. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was really interesting that there is so much about parenting in this chapter considering, like, th- these are 12-year-old kids who are going through, or at least Annabeth and Percy are 12, going through kind of sort of existential moral identity crises because of godly and mortal parentage um and it i know it doesn't go as deep into that in in the book itself but it's kind of not hard to determine that through the reading and just kind of the subtleness of the writing itself. and i think that's what kind of makes rook rook rick a really interesting writer is that you can subtly get all this information from the chapters, just kind of by inter- by interpreting, and just kind of getting a feel for how the characters talk and how they act, and how he describes their body language and things like that. And I'll go more into like his descriptions in in the discussion for chapter eight, but it's just I think it's just really well done for character and characterization, just like a hundred percent um and to finish up on on chapter 7 because i'm sure you guys are getting okay, sick of that by now of me doing my analytical just analytical i can't say that word anymore analytical discussions um i yes i i will admit i'm a little bit unwell so i i'm maybe talking nonsense at certain points in this um Well, I guess you guys won't really tell. That's kind of just my general podcasting nature as a whole, really. Um, I am doing better now um, and just generally feeling better. I do want to do a small PSA here before I do carry on. Obviously, talking about the depression part and people feeling unhappy um, in the previous part, in Chapter 7, and also kind of what happens in Chapter 8 as well. Um, I just want to do a mental health awareness discussion briefly here just because I think it's really important for you guys and and for my listeners and just for everyone who I interact with to know that it is okay to not be okay um it's okay to always ask for help if you need to um I am happy to speak to anyone obviously I am not a professional so do not come to me for professional help seek professional help if you can and if you need it there are always helplines that you can call you can find the numbers at anywhere online and I'm going to put from now on I think actually in my episode notes sort of a mental health awareness thing Um, just because as someone who has suffered with mental health issues since I was about 10 11 years old I know it is really difficult for people now to not only find help but realize that they they need help So, I hope me being open here about the fact that yes, I do have depression, anxiety, and PTSD, and the fact that I'm not ashamed to talk about it will help anyone who does have mental health issues feel comfortable talking about it or seeking help because yes, it's okay to not be okay, and it is okay and good to seek help if you need it the way in which you get help could be different to someone else not everyone's therapy or um, kind of self-help is going to be the same as everyone else's for me it was getting one-on-one therapy and group therapy as well but that's not the case for everyone Um, so yeah I just want to say I love you guys all I hope you're looking after yourselves stay hydrated get the right number of hours of sleep Um, eat well eat healthily Um, and this was your PSA from your new mental health mother Fran. Um, (laughs) I'll move on now sorry I just I kind of wanted to get that out there just because I want people just to be aware and be healthy and be be happy. Um, But to move on (laughs) to some unhappy stuff and slightly happy stuff. Let's carry on to chapter eight. We capture a flag and the overview of this chapter is as follows. Shock! Percy isn't actually good at everything. The stereotype is overcome. Luke is being very kind and considerate towards Percy's feelings. Camp is beautiful Bless you, Uncle Rick, for these gorgeous descriptions. Sword practice. Percy is getting ba- Oh, Aqua skill. He beats Okay, no, not really. Percy really is a great friend. Percy and Grover, bro TP for life. And I will put that on a t-shirt. The story of Kronos and the Big Three. The big three promise and the swearing of the river Styx. Ominous oh, thunder in the background. The celibacy, you know, you guys gotta be celibate because your kids are too powerful. Oh, god damn it, Zeus. We told you you had to be celibate. The tragic story of Talia and further resentment building towards the gods from Percy. Let's get down to business, to defeat, Clarice. (laughs) Annabeth has made Percy a diversion and he is not happy about it. But wait, a hellhound, a creature of darkness, was summoned and attacked Percy. But don't worry, the water heals him and oh no. A glowing trident arrives. All hail Son of Aquadaddy, Earthshaker, Stormbringer, Father of Horses, Perseus Jackson, Son of the Sea God. And that is the summary of chapter 8. And yes, no, I was very dramatic, but I don't care because I love a little bit of drama in my... No, I take that back. Please don't put any more drama in my life. I'm talking to you. Oh God, who is the muse of drama? Hold on uh muse of tragedy. Okay, that 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 works. Uh, malp, malpamine, malpamine. I I don't actually mean I want more drama in my life. Please keep tragedy from my life. Tragedy. I don't actually know the words. Um, <laughs> yeah, malpamine. I I would appreciate um no tragedy. Um, I'm sure. Percy would as well. But yes, that is the the summary of chapter And A lot does happen in this, but like I said, there is continuous growing resentment towards the gods and also various other things, including the fact that kind of the plot is beginning here. Like, we had actually kind of the starting inciting incident with, like, Mrs Dodds in in chapter 1, but this moment here of Percy being claimed as the son of poseidon it's like the moment that it's kind of like a second inciting incident and if you guys don't know what i mean by that there's a sort of a writing term and i don't actually remember how to describe it but it's kind of it's part of like the three act structure that usually happens in in stories um in the case here there's kind of a few different inciting incidents that come up, but i guess this is kind of technically one of them in that by him being a a child of the big three of being a child of the son of the sea god of being the fact that he's another child that is a breaking of the oath that the the big three made is something that is really quite you know bad and dangerous because it's another breaking of the river Styx and as we got the story of Talia and her tragic story of her sacrificing herself and her being pursued by monsters because she was a child of the rivers, of the river sticks because she was a child of zeus it's just it's just really unfortunate and it's just it's the moment that the plot begins because the story of talia and the big three discussions are basically what leave is basically grover discussing and it's just leaving hints to what is happening in this chapter finale um, and, yeah, obviously, with Talia being a child of the big three, it's dangerous, it leads to disaster in most cases, which is a, yeah, it's not a good omen for Percy, really, is it? He's he's not having any luck whatsoever. He gets Gabe for a stepdad, murders a maths teacher, loses his mother, doesn't really have anywhere to live anymore, and now he's basically cursed to, uh, you know forever be chased by monsters for the rest of his possibly short life yeah oh god this kid this kid has got it rough but just generally the the narrative and description in this chapter had have been like great and this is kind of me just talking about just the descriptive side and and Rick's writing. But like we we find out about the activities the person just we kind of find out about what happens at the camp as a whole, like him learning archery, him and running races, the the lava wall, which oh my god. Seriously, we need a health and safety inspector for this camp and considering Chiron is supposed to be like a medicine centaur. I know he said a medicine man, but that doesn't work, he's a medicine centaur. You'd think he'd start to question whether having a wall that shakes and vibrates and throws out lava would actually be a good idea to have at a camp that has, you know, kids apparently as young as seven years old there. You know, I the health inspector is not going to be happy with this camp whatsoever, and neither should Chiron. But as we know, Chiron is a dumb. But... <laughs> Yeah, I just the the descriptions in this are just extraordinary, and uh, we get descriptions of how Percy enjoys strawberry fields, uh, how he spends time with Grover on the docks, and the fact that the only thing he's really good at is canoeing. <laughs> um, and just I think what's really cool is that we really get a sense of place in the, in these descriptions, and you, you can just really picture it and just talking about just picturing it I really highly recommend the illustrated book for Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief because the artistry and I can't remember who the illustrator was sorry I'm just looking to see if I can see it on my book uh illustrated by John Rocco so John he did an amazing job of like the illustrations in that book. So I really highly recommend getting it because you can you can see the visuals, but even without the illustrated book, you can you can picture Camp Half-Blood and I just think it's just it's just amazing. But to go back to parentage again because who doesn't love having daddy and mummy issues? Pretty much every demigod really, they they all have those issues. Oh my goodness. Um yeah, so <laughs> for the story of Talia and now apparently the story for Percy with him being a child of the big three while gods cannot punish other gods they can punish their kids instead so Talia was born and in turn of her being born it was breaking the oath and thus she was the one punished and had to take that punishment by giving her life to the months to the monsters, to the monsters, purposefully sent after her by Hades, who was angry that Zeus had broken the oath. And Zeus's only way of helping her was by turning her into a tree. Why turn her? Just save her life, you. I don't want to insult him because you know you never know if they are actually still around. But you know, save save her life. Why? Why turn her into? A- I don't. The logic behind turning her into a tree, I don't know. I like that it's, I can't remember if it's actually said in the chapter now, but the tree is like the border, it's the protector of the camp, and I kind of like that that's what it was turned into, like he felt guilty that she died because of him. He probably didn't feel guilty, this is Zeus we're talking about, he's done a lot of dodgy stuff. But he turns her into a tree that is a tree that ends up being the border for the camp and also kind of creates the barrier to protect the camp as well in terms of parentage after getting this story we see percy's own resentment building towards the gods like it's been days he's praying he's giving offerings nothing happens he's there's no sign he's he's understanding the resentment and then hearing talia's story he's just angry that the the gods are supposed to be better than this is what his reasoning is and you know it's completely fair enough like they're immortal powerful gods they should be being held not even held accountable they should just be better they're meant to be better than humans because they are immortal they are all-knowing all-powerful blah 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 and yet they're idiots like all the gods are idiots and their children are the ones paying for it and again just like I brought up earlier the fact that Percy is already recognizing this after being at the camp for a few days it's no wonder that all these kids are just losing hope losing faith and just kind of raging really and I would be the same if I had if if I was a demigod and my godly parent just clearly didn't care, left me to be in an overcrowded, overfilled cabin just because they couldn't be bothered to claim me, I don't know what I'd do. And I think that's the thing here, no one knows what to do when they aren't claimed. And it's kind of, it's just really quite sad. And then with Percy, when it is revealed that he is a son of Poseidon and he is a child of the big three, well, obviously this happens after, but he is nearly murdered by a hellhound, one of the creatures that was sent after Talia. and it's kind of, it, there's a sense we were kind of getting a sense that there was a connection to water with the fact that he was able to control the plumbing that when he stepped into the water during his fight with Clarice and the other uglies as he called them he felt stronger and he was able to fight back and then the moment he stepped out he felt tired so we were getting the hints there already and whoever summoned the beast already had a feeling there already as well but the fact that the same creature, one of the same creatures that was sent after Talia, a child of the big three, was summoned and attacked Percy, and then straight after, he is revealed to be a son of Poseidon. It is the same situation as Talia. His life is now in danger because of his father, and the fact that his father, for lack of a better term, couldn't keep it in his pants. And just as a whole, the gods just can bugger off. Like, seriously, like, there's, there's so much that these kids are putting up with because of these gods. And Talia died because of her father. Percy could have died there by being ta- attacked by the Hellhound before even being revealed to be a son of Poseidon. God knows what ha- what's going to happen next. With him now being revealed to be a son of Poseidon. Like, Annabeth is terrified. Chiron is terrified. Everyone is kind of stunned. Percy even more so. And it just makes us wonder, what on earth is going to happen now? What on earth could happen now that Percy is basically got a tiger on his back? Because he is a child of a broken oath. And yeah, it's just it's just a truly intense chapter. And the writing that comes with it is just as incredible. And I think just the writing as a whole for these two chapters, like Rick full-on flexed with his writing ability in these chapters. Like his descriptive abilities and the visualisation that comes with them It's brilliant. In comparison to the last two chapters, which I I complained a little bit about in terms of like the exposition dump that we get in them. In today's ones we have exquisite descriptions of the camp and the locations that, that really make you engage with the location, like you feel like you're there when you're reading it. And it's kind of like world building on another level for me because You can picture it. And I'm going to read this extract from uh, page 108 just to give you an example. Sorry, I was wrong. It's page 103. (laughs) We marched up the hill to the mess hall pavilion. Thetis joined us from the meadow. Nyads emerged from the canoeing lake. A few other girls came out of the woods. And when I say out of the woods, I mean straight out of the woods. I saw, saw one girl, about nine or ten years old, melt from the side of a maple tree and come skipping up the hill. In all, there were maybe a hundred campers, a few dozen satyrs and a dozen assorted wood nymphs and naiads. At the pavilion, torches blazed around the marble columns. A central fire burned in a bronze, barri- br- bronze brazier, sorry, the size of a bathtub. Each cabin had its own table, covered in a white cloth trimmed in purple. Four of the tables were empty, but cabin 11's was way overcrowded. I had to squeeze on the edge of a bench with half my butt hanging off. And then to go to page 108 as well in terms of other general descriptions. Despite all that, I liked camp. I got used to the morning fog over the beach, the smell of hot strawberry fields in the afternoon, even the weird noises of monsters in the woods at night. I would eat dinner with cabin 11, scrape part of my meal into the fire and try to feel some connection to my real dad. Nothing came, just that warm feeling I'd always had, like the memory of his smile. And it's just things like that, like we get the description of place, we get descriptions of feeling and I just you just really connect with that aspect of the story and I just think it's just it's just really well done on Rick's writing part. And in comparison to like last week I think it's just done so much better and the exposition dumpany stuff is, is gone and I do appreciate that. Um which is overall just kind of what we get from these chapters is firstly the gods suck they're terrible parents mortal parents don't seem to be any better than in some few cases like aphrodite and demeter children being able to return home but that's just because they're they're less of a burden um and just in relation to the aphrodite kids uh the descriptions that we get of them basically being useless and only caring about their makeup and stuff like that during capture the flag really frustrated me and yeah i'll get to that at a later point when we do have some more aphrodite stuff that comes up um and obviously i've talked about that in in the episode uh the greek gods which go check that out um if you haven't or or watch my video on youtube about how aphrodite deserved better than percy jackson but yeah just the gods suck mortal parents in most cases seem to suck as well and then we have Rick's brilliant descriptive writing. And just the fact that these two chapters, this there's, there's just so much that happens in them and you just can't you're feeling so much for this new world that we're experiencing through Percy's eyes, the beauty of it, and yet there's kind of subtle sadness that comes alongside it with just the sadness of the campers, of them feeling Alone and unwanted by their parents, and it's just beauty with sadness, I think is something that that Rick kind of does really well in his writing, and we'll explore that a little bit more in future when it comes to comes to later chapters um but just to kind of summarize these chapters as a whole, really is um well, <laughs> officially percy is screwed and that is how i will end the discussion of chapter seven and chapter eight of percy jackson and the lightning thief and as always i will be moving on to the most popular segment because it is in fact the only segment thus far for this this podcast i'll probably have more in future um maybe in like bonus episode stuff or do some like extra segments sort of things um but yes it is time for the question of the episode but before we move on to today's question let's discuss the answers that came from last week's question which was percy is undergoing a lot of change and grief if you were a fellow camp half-blood camper and saw what he was going through how would you comfort him and these are some of the answers that I received on our Instagram, which you should go follow, by the way. So from Megan Newark, she's, she, sorry, I assumed gender there, I apologise. They said, I would give him all the blue cookies. Also, I'd make sure he was never alone and go out of my way to make him laugh. And I love that. That's really sweet. From Nikora04, I think I would just silently sit next to him looking at the lake, mountains and strawberry fields. They, he may find that a little strange, but, um, you know, com- silent comfort. I-, I can appreciate that, yes. Now, this is one of my favourite ones because it comes from a fellow Percy Jackson podcast, Floor 600, which is hosted by the fabulous Quinn and Natalie, who I uh, both I adore them both. We've talked a few times um, on Instagram and such, and they're just great hosts. So, obviously, go listen to their podcast as well if you aren't already. But Floor 600's answer is, I would sit by him at dinner. Separating the campers by parents at meals is the worst. And yes, it is indeed the worst. It is, it's, no. It's a big old no. I disagree with it entirely. And we may get into that a little bit more in future, if I remember. Because as we all know, guys, my memory is very poor. Considering I've got back pain, I, am I an old woman? I may be an old woman I'm 24 but I'm actually an old woman (laughs) oh my god okay let's move on to another answer before I get really sad so from supreme nova we have I tell him it will be all right and that no matter what happens next your mum will always be with you and you shouldn't feel alone as you have a great big family at camp half blood or something like that and you know what I think that may actually be my favorite one from this that's it's like a really heartfelt sort of thing and considering my mid-discussion of uh, mental health early earlier in this episode this is something that is kind of helpful and comforting at the same time of someone who is going through grief um so supreme Nova, well done I love that really great work (laughs) <laughs> really great work. Why am I a teacher? Uh, then from me, Mediva. I'm sorry if that's wrong. I would make him a hell a of lot of blue food. Set up a little picnic with him and all his friends at the lake, and talk and laugh while we feast on blue food and drinks. Can I come too? Uh, that sounds really nice. I can. Can I come to enjoy join the picnic? <laughs> I want some blue food and drinks. And then from my ever-returning Hot Stuff Valdez, Blue Food, they say. Just spoil him with blue food. Assure him that everything happens for a reason and things will hopefully and eventually get better. Most importantly, let him know that he's not alone and that we've got his back no matter what. And what a way to end it because, yes... And that is the same for all of you guys as well. I have got your backs, we've all got each other's backs. Some great answers there and I appreciate every single answer that we get. And yeah, no, just (laughs) love it. So thank you guys for answering last week's question. Now for today's question of the episode, it's going to be a little bit generic because... I forgot to think of one, so I'm actually kind of coming up with this one on the spot. But because I have been discussing parentage at intense, deep length today, today's question of the episode is, who is your godly parent? And why are they your godly parent? Now, if you want to answer this, of course, I will post this on Instagram. You can comment on the post on twitter you can send me an email if you want to go in intense depth you can dm us on any of our social medias on tumblr and all that good stuff so let me know who your godly parent is as always i want to thank you all for joining me today for chapters seven and eight be sure to join me next wednesday for the next two chapters as we continue our lightning thief tale now, to plug where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, where you should follow us, Apple Podcast, where you can please leave a subscribe rating and a review, Audio Boom, Stitcher, where you can also leave a rating and a review, and Deezer. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find The Best Damn Camp on various social media at pod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Tumblr at thebestdampamp.tumblr.com. If you want to email me with your own thoughts and analyses, because as you know, I love that stuff, you can email BestDamnCamp at hotmail.com, and I will read it out at the end of the show if you wish me to. Also, be sure to check out my YouTube channel, A Healthy Dose of Fran, for more Percy Jackson content. And drop me a follow at A Healthy Dose of Fran on Instagram and A Dose of Fran on Twitter. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I've been Fran, your very own Hunter, and I will see slash speak to you guys next time. Bye.